Dave? <laughs> Everyone come back. Yeah, I think we lost Dave. I know. Dave? How did we manage to lose you again? Christ. Oh, man. Am I here? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. You're not allowed to try to leave again. <laughs> okay. One. No, I'm making the best old man mistakes. It's fantastic. So one, two. <laughs> one, two, three. Living the dream acknowledges the traditional owners of the land it is recorded on, especially the Jagera and Turrbal peoples, elders past, present, and future, and their continuing struggles for justice and self-determination. Podcast. Living the Dream is an irregularly published anti-capitalist podcast from Brisbane. You're listening to Living the Dream and it's a fantastic episode tonight after fighting 45 minutes of what we could call technical problems or mainly my stupidity. We are now about to record our special show on the Green New Deal. We're joined today, as always, by John Pacini. How's things? I'm very well, Dave. I've uh, already drunk most of my original glass of wine getting through this but i'm ready now we're ready to go yeah nice and special guests tash and jeremy how things very good thank you not too bad yeah i'm sorry we've contributed to some of the technical difficulties no that's okay so maybe starting with tash tash would you like to introduce yourself uh to the living the dream audience i'm tash heenan i'm a phd candidate in the department of political economy and um, I've been working in the trade union movement for around about the last five years. So fresh PhD student looking at the uh, relationship between the labor and environmental movements in Australia. Fantastic. And Jeremy, who are you? Uh, my name's Jeremy Poxon. I'm a campaigner and media spokesperson for the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, which is a voluntary run group of new start recipients, uh, disability pensioners, unemployed workers, etc., campaigning for you know a better, more dignified social security system. Yeah, fantastic. And look, I guess one of the reasons this show has happened is not only is the Green New Deal like a really, I, really, I think a really interesting topic and hopefully we can get into some of the substantive matter of it, but the three of you wrote an article in a relatively... Um, popular publication was it a, a team you know a, a youth website i guess in a, in a youth website so what we not teen vogue we haven't it wasn't teen, teen vogue, vogue yet okay no. like maybe if you could start <laughs> if you could start by saying um like maybe just summarizing for the listeners what you argued and why you wrote that article and also i'm kind of interested in how the three of you kind of got together um you know from different parts of the left politically, historically, and geogra- geographically to make the argument? Um, I guess I guess where the, the article came from, it sort of came in that context uh, post-federal election uh, where there was a lot of navel-gazing and think-piecing uh, about, you know, why things, you know, went so badly, uh, particularly for, uh, for Labor and, and notionally the, um, you know, the electoral left. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of, especially in the establishment, 
uh, newspapers, you know, there was a lot of guff about how, you know, Labour flew apparently too close to the sun and they took too big an agenda apparently into the election and scared voters away. Uh, and, and, and that's why and that's why they lost. So one of the impetuses, at least for me, uh, wanting to, uh, you know, to, to write that to write that article was to counter that BS, like straight off the uh, straight off the bat. And basically, you know, after a period of, uh, you know, personal depression after the election result, uh, because I knew it would basically basically condemn uh, our members on New Start to, you know, three more years of, of misery was to you know, try and use this crisis as an opportunity, a crisisunity to, you know, try and articulate a bold new, you know, radical economic agenda. And, and that's sort of where, at least from my end, the, the piece uh, sort of sort of came from. And, you know, who better to reach out than the smartest two dudes I know, Tash and, Tash and John, um, and, you know, to, to try and, you know, you know, we particularly targeted a mainstream um, you know, publication uh, as as well. So to try and try and write it for for somewhere that's not really wasn't really a usual outlet, I guess. Um, you know, for you know for us, a pretty mainstream uh, youth uh, youth online journal. But I'll let I'll let the other two speak about uh, where that where they came to it from. Yeah, I remember Jeremy that you you got in touch with me. I think it was during the election that we first discussed it, and it was. Um, in relation to some comments where um, Labour's agenda was described as socialist by someone or another, or, or I recall, and it got quite a bit of um, publicity. So we thought, and you thought, I think it was a good idea that we, like, what would a socialist policy for Australia actually look like? Not this, like, white bread centrism right. of the uh, of the Labour Party. So we came up with this idea of kind of like a five big ideas for a socialist Australia. But as all of that was happening, as things tend to happen in the world, the world was changing around us and moving around us pretty quickly. And the Green New Deal um, became huge, mm. not least because of um, Ocasio-Cortez's uh, um, championing of the idea at the same time. So that kind of um, took over from, and we incorporated some aspects of that broader idea of like a bigger socialist policy for Australia into this article about the Green New Deal. But yeah, Tash, um, what, 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 what were you thinking about it? You basically covered everything. Uh, I think the reason I assume that I was brought into it is because earlier this year in March, um, myself and another political economist um, wrote a draft um, discussion paper on the Green New Deal in response to the release of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's 14-page uh, policy proposal. Um, and we were kind of intended it as sort of a conversation starter more than anything else. Um, and it got around because it was an open Google Doc link that anyone could kind of comment on if they wanted to. Um, and so that's how I linked up with John and Jeremy, um, because one of the, you know, kind of key ideas in a lot of different Green New Deal proposals um, has been a job guarantee, which is something that um, AUW has been campaigning on for a while now. Uh, so that's where the connection was. And I've got to say that's a pretty unique document um, that you've worked on, Tash, something that's not very common in the Australian left, I think. Um, where it's not 
really just a kind of a regurgitation of an already existing ideological position, but like seemed to me like an attempt to do something different in how a document is written and what it's communicating, but also is trying to do. And this is probably the part that's kind of knocked me for six fairly about the Green New Deal, trying to do something that seems to be strategic in that it's connecting to what is possible in about trying to shift those possibilities. Do you mind um, like telling us a, a little bit more of that process that you did with your comrade in terms of writing that document and where you're going with it? Sure. Um, so basically, I think it was a particularly like horrible news cycle that week and Anna and I were feeling really depressed. I actually have this distinct memory of like sitting on the floor in my apartment with her and I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, but we were both just like absolutely bawling our eyes out at like essentially the state of the world and just feeling like it's it's not possible for us to keep going as people trying to organise, as people trying to, um, you know, be active in climate justice in Sydney, which is one of the most depressing cities I think <laughs> to live in. Um, and so we decided to essentially just write all of our feelings into this document. So it came from a very emotional place, actually. Um, but we essentially wrote it like after work in the wee hours of the morning over the space of like four or five days. Um, it was very much a rough draft. Uh, it was never meant to be seen as like a official statement or proposal. Um, it definitely has no official institutional backing. I wasn't even a PhD student. At, like all connected to the university at the time um, and we sort of just assumed and this hasn't happened yet but it's I think still likely to that we're going to be flooded with a raft of Green New Deal proposals from various think tanks and policy wonks over the coming couple of years and Anna and I have um, a very similar eco-socialist politics so we were thinking of this as a way to kind of like write out what would our ideal version of the Green New Deal be and put it out there, um, knowing that it probably wouldn't get very far and that people wouldn't, you know, um, necessarily take us seriously since we're no one. Um, but it was really nice that so many people took the time to read it and critique it and comment on it and engage with it. I was really surprised and, yeah, really happy that that happened. Right now, though, um, we've kind of we closed comments on it because I they just we ran out of margin space at one point. Um, <laughs> That's a good thing. And yeah, it is. Um, and we kind of focused our efforts more on organising and the Climate Justice Collective, and took a lot of the critiques on board. Where people were like, you probably didn't need to write this first. Like, let's just get going with the politics and the organising. Um, or you know, you're not the right people to write this. Or people who are kind of um, you know, thinking that it needs to be uh, a different kind of collaborative process where there's like official um, consultation with different um, communities. So we sort of left that to the side feeling like we don't really have the kind of expertise to take that forward um, just yet and have focused more on, um, yeah, as I said, organising with the Climate Justice Collective and doing solidarity work in, in Sydney and around. That sounds a bit harsh. Oh, look, I don't know the content of that criticism. But that sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? Um, I'm not sure. I, I think if 
if people assume that the document was intended as like the Green New Deal, it makes sense that they would be like, whoa, why do you think you can write this? Um, because we can't write the Green New Deal. Two people can't write it. Um, but the spirit in which it was intended, I hope, um, was one where we're kind of humbly offering our tech. Um, as yeah. I said, it's like an unpublished draft Google Doc, so it's like as informal as you can get other than us scrolling it on a napkin and passing it around. <laughs> For sure. So, um, we hope that people, yeah, continue to critique and engage in it and like mm. move beyond it. And I'd like to read more Green New Deal proposals from other people or Green New Deal explorations of Green New Deal politics. I think yep. that's more exciting. Like, what's the strategy of trying to win something like this? Yeah. Look, I don't, I don't want to kind of um, run ahead of the terrain that we need to to cover i think to really um dig down into this but i guess one of the because uh, i've been one of you know like uh, i've been fairly critical of of the idea of a green new deal but at the same time you know i think it i don't have any alternative right like like my my thinking right now as we start this discussion is i'm pretty terrified by the short time frame that we have to have meaningful transformation in say at least energy production are the key parts of our economy so we don't just boil in a hell world like the green new deal seems to be the idea that's kind of coalescing a lot of excitement because it seems to be like offering a way to respond immediately but potentially moving to transform society uh, more fundamentally i have a whole series of my standard kind of criticisms i think which are more about how I, at this point in time, get the Green New Deal, um, how it assumes, say, maybe capitalism the state works. But I don't have an alternative, really, apart from, like, hashtag full communism. But, you know, without running ahead too much in the discussion, one of the things that I'm always a bit kind of ambiguous about is, like, how much of the Green New Deal is an inside or outside project. And when I hear kind of the idea that, well, you're not the right people to write it, is who are the right people then? Is it a series of of people in, you know, at the top of the left, you know, policy wonks, people in think tanks, people from the head of trade unions, and that kind of stuff leaves me fairly cold. Um, But maybe... Let's just pull back for a bit. And you've already identified, Tash, that um, the Green New Deal is probably contested, that there's a number of different ideas vying for uh, for defining what a Green New Deal is. But really, what is it? What do we mean? What do you, you three mean when you suggest a Green New Deal? So the Green New Deal is a reference to Roosevelt's New Deal of the 1930s, which was a series of programs of public works that were really designed to actually rebuild um, U.S. capitalism after the Depression. So in my view, it was a deeply flawed and discriminatory program. Like that's not a new idea. People have talked about the discriminatory aspects of it before. Um, But it was the problem with it is that it was essentially designed to reignite the engine of capitalist growth, right? So what we're actually taking from it when Anna and I talk about the Green New Deal, is the scale and the ambition of the transformation that occurred and really not a lot else. Um, so more narrowly conceived, the Green New Deal is a Keynesian-style program of massive public investment in things like green jobs, renewable energy, sustainable transport, housing infrastructure, and everything that's going to be necessary uh, to confront the climate crisis and increasing economic inequality at the same time. So it's really a set of 
social democratic economic reforms that are aimed at decarbonisation within this strict time frame that you're talking about, you know, in line with what uh, the IPCC are telling us we need to achieve um, to avoid catastrophic climate change. So that's kind of one way of looking at it. And that's sort of how I think of the Green New Deal resolution introduced in the US by AOC earlier this year. And it's, um, you know, more recently similar to Bernie Sanders' um, Green New Deal proposal, although to be fair, his did go a lot further and was more detailed. But what it is here um, in so-called Australia is still very open, just good and bad. It means we can have a really lively debate about what it should look like or could look like, but also means that kind of any old market-based neoliberal policy can be kind of put in the box of what the Green New Deal is and um, that's not great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I might just say that in terms of what I think about, about I mean, I think you're totally right, Tash, about the original New Deal, um, FDR's um, strategy to, to reignite American capitalism. But, I mean, the, the New Deal, from my perspective, and what I've read about it, is it, was, it wasn't inherently social democratic compromise, but it was also one that was heavily supported and had a heavy involvement from members of the Communist Party in the USA at the time. Um, and it was definitely part of like a populist as, as a sort of there, what they would call the popular front at that time, which included in Australia, things like the unemployed workers movement, which we might want to talk about at some point as well. But um, this was a, a plan that was like a broad coalition of the left in a way, in that it was able to bring in um, Communist Party, which had significant membership in the South amongst African-American uh, sharecroppers and others. Um, and so I think kind of, and the New Deal itself was like a historic period as well, that it continued from the 1930s through into the 1960s. And really, um, you know, Martin Luther King, in a way, was like the embodiment of like demanding that the, re demanding that the New Deal be implemented in like a be implemented in the way that it was designed in the 30s to actually represent and uh, represent everyone and to create a system that represented everyone um and, and that kind of fell apart but what i think today the new deal does the green new deal did is that it provided a way to connect a whole bunch of diffuse issues uh, in terms of economic issues social issues political issues and of course uh, the cause there's environmental issues as, as well. So that's why I thought it was exciting, interesting to talk about, not only because I'm a, I'm a historian and a nerd as a consequence, but uh, but because I think, you know, that's got this capacity to bring people together. And I guess to, to build on uh, John's point, you know, just there, like I was a pretty late uh, adopter and I'm a pretty late enthusiast uh, to, the, to, the, to the Green New Deal and, you know, for, for reasons not too dissimilar uh, from, from stuff you flagged. Uh, earlier, Dave, you know, I don't, even, I don't even consider, you know, the New Deal originally, or at least FDR's vision of it, you know, not that much chop really compared to what we had uh, in in Australia, where we at least had, you know, a government with a full commitment uh, to full employment uh, after the after the Depression era, or at least what full employment exists um, under capitalism, you know. But as the idea sort of took off. Uh, in the in in the US, you know, did see just that huge potential uh, that that John's you know sort of outlined, like within me as a, as a you know purely sort of anti anti poverty campaigner, just seeing the potential of like a Green New Deal program where I can link you know the struggle for you know decent social security 
uh, you know, the struggle for, you know, decent work uh, to those who need it and being able to connect that um, with, with environmental campaigners, being able to connect that uh, with housing justice campaigners, whoever they may be, you know, the sad thing about being a campaigner um, in Australia, particularly over the last, you know, five years or decade is the left just hasn't had a coherent project here, um, right? Or, a, you know, it's always felt like, you know, we haven't been um, on the on the same page. Um, you know, we we are facing multiple crises, as, as, as John um, articulated as well, you know, particularly an environmental catastrophe and, and what I consider poverty and, and economic crisis. So the beauty, I think, of, of a Green New Deal is um, it does articulate a path to tackle these crises uh, at the at this at the same time. Um, and you know, I had no similar to you, Dave. I have no other I have no other idea of, of how it can do that. So I'm really drawn to the possibilities that, it, that a Green New Deal illuminates. How important is the kind of uh, history of the defining of the Green New Deal internationally in the last couple of years to your conception of its application in Australia? I don't, I don't think it's actually that important. I mean, international solidarity is another thing, but there's a lot of potential in the Green New Deal to recognise that the things we're talking about, these, the, the way it illuminates the interrelations between multiple and intersecting crises, um, which is obviously really helpful to draw them all into the, you know, one program because um, it helps us to think about how they're caused by similar uh, phenomena. Um, but it points to different campaigns from all over the world from the past, you know, 100 years that we can um, recognise that we're taking inspiration from. Um, so the, you know, global justice movement and peasant movements from all over the world, I don't necessarily think we have to look to um, you know, recent campaigns for the Green New Deal in the UK. You know, um, the New Economics Foundation brought out a paper in 2008 that's seen as like the original Green New Deal document. Um, but I actually think there's more to be learned from, uh, you know, diverse social movements from all over the world rather than the specific kind of policy proposals that have been put forward. So we can really um, interpret it any way we like. I think that the main thing that links different Green New Deals and um, makes it kind of unique is the attention to multiple and intersecting crises, so particularly the ecological and economic crises. Um, but politically, we're facing very different contexts to the UK and the US, where they're really um, looking to um, politicians as champions of the Green New Deal. So they've got AOC, they've got Bernie Sanders in the US, and they've got Corbyn in the UK. And, um, you know, that means that the path to implementing the Green New Deal and debating the Green New Deal is very much an electoral one, whereas that path seems to be um, close to us. And I actually think that's a good thing because it's going to force us to organise. But I'll see what the others have to say about that. Yeah, no, I, I agree I, I agree with that. I mean, I think in terms of the history, the recent history of it, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't think it's, that's particularly important from the Australian perspective. I mean, it's kind of interesting in a way that the Green New Deal was first articulated in the UK, given the, at least that particular phrasing of it, as you say, it's got a much longer germination, uh, but it's framed in the UK rather than in the US, where that term, the New Deal, has some historical currency. 
So that's sort of interesting in and of itself. And I mean, I remember when this was first starting to be discussed, people like Osmond Chu were talking about green reconstruction was potentially a more relevant terminology in Australia because that was what, that was, you know, Australia didn't have a new deal, our response to the, um, our response, sorry, there's a large possum on the roof of my house and it is having a fight with another large possum. Um, This is just great wildlife. Wildlife are living the dream is... Another sub, another sub thing. Um, but, the, you know, Australia didn't have a new deal. You know, our response to the 1930s depression was ad hoc. We were under a liberal government at the time, so there was very little, uh, very little change. So, I mean, really the the, the, um, the focus for, for the Labour Party when it was in and, and the Communist Party who was allied with it at the, closely at the time was to push for um, reconstruction, as it was called, post-war reconstruction, which was, in Australia, even then didn't make a lot of sense because Australia wasn't too badly damaged by World War II, but it was seen as reconstruction as like rebuilding a new society, effectively, as that we couldn't let the society that had brought the world into the Depression and then the most violent, brutal war in history, um, that we can never let that happen again. So that idea of reconstruction is could have some residence as well as as well as new deal but yeah i mean in terms of the history of it i mean i i probably connect the green new deal's history more with um australian traditionally in terms of indigenous histories of course and the way that and indigenous people's um relationships to the the land and indigenous people's continuing and ongoing struggles for self-determination on the land and also you know that australia has had has always been a leader in terms of the radical environment movement thinking about the green bands in in um, New South Wales in the 1970s is just one example of that. Just to, to, to build on, on on this thread, and you know, it is you know, it is we are sort of a, a unique you know you know position in, in in Australia compared to compared to the UK, compared to some countries in Europe, uh, you know, compared to compared to America, where the huge potential for for an Australian you know Green New Deal is you know it's it's it, it needs to start. Uh, with with campaigners outside of outside of electoral politics, and I think you know that's given um, you know especially Tash and Anna you know a lot of license. I think you know with that, that initial initial document to be as you know, to be as radical uh, as as can be, because what we know is is, is probably about to come um, over the next three years as we hear uh, you know some Labor members start talking about. Uh, a green new deal. I think Burke was was talking about it earlier this year. Uh, we know the Tasmanian Greens uh, have have come up with their own their own version of of a green new deal, which, which we don't know uh, looks like yet. Obviously, the closer it goes uh, to electoral politics, the the less radical uh, it's 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 probably going to get. Um, you know, but those of us, I think, leftist campaigners, we have a real opportunity here now that the conversations are just starting. It's just bourgeoning uh, to try and to try and frame the narrative uh, of it a little bit um, to push for to push for radical ideas as well. I guess I want to say I really don't understand this point um, because, like for me, it seems like the the Green New Deal, as it's presented, really relies on the state as like the core actor that does the work, you know, that does the work of um, reinvestment and developing the new industries. So doesn't that necessarily mean that this is an electoral project? And without an electoral vehicle, how is a Green New Deal possible in Australia? 
yeah, like you know, ultimately, you know, as as a, as an initial goal, it's you know we. You know, we we do. You know, we we are going to have to. We are going to have to rely on government. Uh, we are going to have to, you know, strategize ways to you know, reclaim the power of of the state to uh, reclaim you know public money uh, to get to get any 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 of this done. Um, you know, I've, I've thought about this, you know, off off and on, and it can seem like 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 a strange you know contradiction for for a socialist or a communist. Uh, to to be spruiking this as as an idea, um, but as a sort of immediate pathway, um, you know, into um, you know putting more putting more power, putting more resources uh, into into the into the hands of say my members or our members or you know people who really need to be radically and immediately lifted um, above the poverty line so they can afford to afford to eat and afford to live in live in their homes. Um, you know, I really can't foresee another 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 way forward um, without at least in in the immediate term, um, you know, having to having to harness the power of the state and having to you know do do a hell of a lot of work, um, you know, to drag you know those in power leftwards. But I'll let the other two that might have better ideas on this. No, I mean, I think I think you're right, Jeremy. That to some extent, the state will have to be involved. But what was really interesting to me was that. You know, particularly like in the UK, trade unions are really involved in it. But in Australia as well, like, you know, the NEW um, made a big statement in support of cooperatives, in particular after the election. And it was like the one bit of good news that came out after the election was, you know, this kind of big picture utopian thinking that the NEW plucked on their Facebook page, which, which really helped me feel a little bit better. But, um, you know, like, so in a way, yeah, the state, you know, well, what is the state, I guess, to start off with? And I mean, I guess all I can do is think from a historical perspective which is you know that whenever there's that that this the state represents capitalist interest we know that um and the state is incredibly difficult to transform it's not impossible to transform because of the nature of what it represents and who it represents but that doesn't mean that movements haven't tried and succeeded in making the state do good and decent things in the past i mean the um we can talk about the welfare state in the, in the, from the 40s to the 70s, and I've talked about that quite a bit in the past and critiqued it from a range of different perspectives. But, you know, it is the result of, and I'm a firm believer in this, that it's the, it's the rebellions of, of the working class that forces the state, working class um, broadly defined, including as in intersectional, um, intersectionally people, indigenous peoples, colonized peoples, women, people who are rebelling against capitalism are the motor driver for the transformation of for the transformation of the state. So, and we we see that, and we see the demands that the demands do have an effect on the state, and they can lead to alleviation. For and I mean, I could never say to your members, Jeremy, that you know, I think that we should just wait for full communism, and everyone should you know should suffer some sort of weird accelerationist perspective. I know that Dave wouldn't agree with that either. I think it's just a question of like appealing to the state in some ways, but then producing other, maybe producing other forms of collectivity outside of the state, which is in the trade unions, which is in our social movements, which is pushing in the direction of the Green New Deal. It's pushing in the direction of more equal economic, political, social, cultural relations, as well as, as well as pushing for change in the state. Yeah, I agree with John and Jeremy. Um, this is the question that Anna and I have really been thinking about a lot. And if she was here, she would give you a great, 
kind of overview of how we can use the state in different ways at different historical junctures, you know, strategically. Um, uh, but that's it's not really my area, so I won't get into that. But I do. I have been thinking about this a lot lately um, in terms of the climate strikes and my experience. You know, um, being there on the 20th of September around all these people that were making a demand. But I don't think we really understood who we were making the demand of, um, or maybe some people did, I'm not sure. But when we think about the Green New Deal, who are we asking to implement it? Uh, you know, the federal government is not going to implement a Green New Deal anytime soon, or a radical one. Um, if the AOP win government in three years' time, will they implement one? Or, you know, do we need to do it ourselves and can we actually do that? Can we actually add up these kind of um, sometimes called like prefigurative politics or things like cooperatives or local politics to something that's capable of transforming the system as a whole um, or kind of thinking about different levels of governance like municipal governance or like local councils where, you know, parts of the Green New Deal could be implemented. Maybe it won't be implemented all at once as one coherent program, but maybe it's just the idea of a coherent program that allows people to draw those links that we were talking about earlier. Um, so thinking about what's next for the climate strikes as the potential vehicle for a Green New Deal demand, you know, how does that actually work? Can we combine that with rent strikes or rolling work stoppages? Like, are those likely to emerge right now in, in terms of the conditions of precarity that we know and that, you know, members of the uh, UWU are experiencing? Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. These are all questions that I'm grappling with. Uh, and I think we we have to have uh, diverse strategies and, and local strategies um, and keep adapting them. Um, I think, yeah, today I was thinking about like the, the water crisis in far west New South Wales. You know, there are a lot of very regional towns, lots with strong Aboriginal communities that have been without clean water for over nine months now, which is kind of like incomprehensible to some people that you could have water coming out of taps in this country that gives people kidney infections and makes them break out in rashes. And the state government has been cruelly slow to act. They're now apparently just recently donating water, donating in inverted commas, after, you know, sustained community pressure, a number of groups, um, including FIRE, which is an Aboriginal rights community organisation from Sydney, uh, earlier this year just started basically fundraising to buy water in bulk and they've been driving it almost like 800 kilometres one way to towns where bottled water is like very expensive and scarce. Um, they've been installing water filters and then driving the eight hours back for work on Monday morning. And this is organised with people who have like, you know, just connections through friends in the town and then a group of volunteers gets together with their cars and just go there together. And so in the meantime, while we're waiting for the government or while we're kind of wondering whether the state's ever going to actually be able to deliver any of these radical demands, I guess organising um, mutual aid and, and projects like that is, is, is what we can do. We don't have to necessarily wait and just formulate, formulate these plans. Just going to add to that, Tash. Yeah, I think that focus on local solutions is really important. I was just thinking today about an article I read a few weeks ago about how I think in like um, in a, one of the Scandinavian countries, a um, they've actually had to put they put a moratorium on further wind farm building because local communities have rebelled against 
their areas, their like coastlines, which are perfect for wind for wind farming, um, being used by the state to do this energy transition because there hasn't been consultation that hasn't been work with local communities so what's really important is that is is to get local communities on board and to organize and and that these the transition should be led from the local or from the state really anyway so it's more productive to have the transition being led and being an amalgam of transitions at the local level probably than, than from the state uh, look look okay so I, I really wonder at what point are we still talking about something that fits within a green new deal but one of the things that that I've been really noticeable to me has been a historical change in language. That the word that I don't find a lot in uh, arguments for a Green New Deal is the concept of the commons. And I would say that, say, 10 years ago in kind of um, particular elements of radical thought, particularly ones that I was engaged with, like the commons was the concept that was used to theorise that space of human creativity and the production of use values outside um, both outside and against, or, you know, what's the old slo- the slogan? Inside against, was it inside against and beyond uh, the, you know, both the capitalist mode of production and the state that holds it. And the commons was the space that we used to kind of think about that and also to as real practical examples. That language doesn't really seem to be part of the Green New Deal language, but some of the stuff that you're describing now seems to fit within a theorization of the commons. But I guess the thing for me is that I think like when we were talking about the commons, we understood it as it would involve maybe a political activity that was radically separate or opposed to the state with some qualifications. There's a very sophisticated article by the Midnight Notes Collective called uh, Promissory Notes where they talk about how you could have an engagement with the state. Whilst the Green New Deal seems to be, you know, even if you're talking about it here, even if it's coming from social movements, there's still that element of making demands on this other body. So I'm kind of interested about, like, is it conscious that that language of the commons has disappeared? Do you think there's a real political difference between, like, a Green New Deal approach and a commons approach? And do you think that maybe the the modes of struggle that are imagined are the same or different? Well, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I think where I've encountered things like the commons is in sort of older eco-feminist writing, but I'm not sure if it's being used in the same way. Um, or, or in political ecology, maybe, is the most recent use of that term. But I think maybe it correlates to one of the ways, one of the terms that's being used now, which is decommodification. I'm not sure um, what you think about that, but at its base level, decommodification means of removing the profit imperative from things that people need to live and survive, like not just making them free, but making them available to everyone in ways that are attentive to different needs, historical injustices, so not just assuming that people are universal subjects. So collective social provisioning, um, basically. Is that, would that be similar to an idea of the common? Mm, I think there's, look, there were arguments about this 20 years ago, but I think the real difference is that decommodification, at least is how I've seen it in the Green New Deal arguments, often refers to state provision where and the idea that state provision is somehow de- decommodified, where I think 
more sophisticated notions of the commons or ones that take it really seriously do not think that state provision counts, counts as the commons and that the commons is opposed to state provision as as much as it is opposed to um, to provision through the commodity form. Though there is substantial debate around around that as well. So I would say there's there's a distinction there. And by um the kind of I guess the eco feminist tradition, do you do you mean like those kind of books that were published by Spinifex Press? So like Maria Mias and and her comrades? Yeah, like Mary Miller, Ariel Soleil. Yeah, definitely. Also, because they then have a relationship, I think, from memory with uh, like Sylvia Federici and the people around the Midnight Notes Collective. And I I really think that 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 eco-feminist tradition had a big impact on the conception of the commons and then its generalisation as a concept from the early 2000s on. So I think, yeah, we're on a similar terrain theoretically. But I guess I'm kind of really interested (laughs) in in that tension between um, like the, the, the way that the Green New Deal seems orientated on the state as not just something that you put demands towards, but something that could actually have a meaningful way of acting, where some of the things that you're starting to describe seem seem very different from state provision in and things that historically would see as antagonistic to the state. How do you see the kind of a struggle for a Green New Deal putting those pieces together? I don't know. I I think... Oh, you go ahead. I think I'd rather throw to Jeremy because there might be some history in terms of unemployed workers making demands on the state or outside of the state that we could talk about yes. too um yeah i think and i think it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting tension it's like you know on the on, on the one hand how we how we operate um as a as an organization i think is very much in line with with, with those notions um of the commons like where uh you know fundamentally our tactics and our organization is you know radical grassroots union it's it's mutual it's mutual aid it's um setting up our own, our own spaces uh, to help each other uh you know deal with you know life under under capitalism and life in the hellscape um of our social security system uh, at the moment and you know build build up build our capacity um, you know, to to you know to to challenge you know state power and and, and ultimately ultimately hopefully transform it um, while we while we organize ourselves and 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 build out and build our own power. I think I think you know groups groups like ours who are who are entering um, you know sort of the Green New Deal space. I think I think it's there, Dave, I, and I think. Um, you know there are you know there are groups that are are, are talking about this and are operating um, in this way. I just I just sort of figure at least from from my end that you know it's it's just the case that you know that kind of you know that kind of gets drowned out and the sort of you know mainstream at least conception um, of the of the Green New Deal you know remains that sort of uh, top down um, you know state focused um, you know redistributive uh, model, but. You know, going back to you know, so you know, unemployed workers movements. It's it's you know had a had a proud tradition um, in this country, um, essentially since since the 1840s. Um, big movement um, in in the 30s, which um, John probably knows more about um, than you know than 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 even I do. Um, and we're just the the latest you know iteration, like literally formed because we weren't even feeling like you know the trade union movement proper. 
um, were, were representing or, or speaking to um, our interests. I think the thread, um, you know, that follows at least, at least sort of, you know, radical groups, um, radical historical groups, you know, uh, like, like ours is, you know, we're you know we're ultimately you know ultimately suspicious of of the state. Um, you know, the state's been historically extremely hostile. Um, you know, to those you know to those locked out of locked out of work or those in the pool of reserve army uh, of of labor. So it's you know it's you know simul- simultaneously um, you know trying to organize ourselves. You know, build our own power, reclaim that notion. Um, of the commons and what that looks like when you're excluded, excluded from the economy, um, excluded, you know, primarily from from it from a decent life um, by by the government, but then also at the same time, you know, trying to build our power and and sharpen our own stick as as much as possible to build a you know significant challenge to the to the state so we can get you know concessions and those concessions at the moment look like an increased a new start. Um, and and to work with the doll and, and and punitive programs like that. Social movements always target the state because the social social movements are usually seeking some sort of some sort of redress, which is usually um, best remedied through the avenue of the state as it exists in under capitalist society. Um, in that the state has, you know, the means of violence and can repress people, but you don't want them to do that. You want to ensure that that doesn't happen to the people your social movement represents, but also because you want um, the state to alleviate conditions in in different ways. But I guess social movements, as like as well, there, there needs to be that, like what, what Jeremy's talking about. It's about kind of the difference between appealing to the state and solidifying social movements reliance on the state and building independent power or building working class power, building the ability to um, building different institutions or parallel kind of institutions, I suppose, um, in our trade unions, in community organizations, everywhere, really, in terms of trying to create some sort of parallel structure that will be able to transform and produce a better state and eventually abolish abolish the the state form as we know it but these movements always coincide because you can't have a social movement that's not delivering for people who are involved in it and you need to have on the one hand that push for for rights in one regard but also a push for broader more systemic change and i think jeremy you did a good job there talking about the distinction about the, the the tensions in that do you think there's a difference though between like um, the like imagine like how we imagine transformation happens between something which is about people on the streets acting collectively, developing new organisational forms, transforming themselves, and something when uh, when we go back to um, Tasha's earlier kind of really stripped down um, bargain basement common definition of a, a Green New Deal, which is a set of kind of Keynesian uh, spending priorities to reorganise investment, which is something done by wonks and planners and technocrats. Aren't they two very different modes of activity about how we imagine how we change the world? How And doesn't, aren't they in opposition? I, I don't know if they're in opposition. They may end up being in opposition at 
in this particular historical moment, but it remains to be seen at the moment. We don't know yet. Um, I think we have to remember in this context, though, that we are pushing back against um, what is about to be a wave of austerity. Like we, we're going into a recession with a conservative government. Um, we know what a conservative government response to a recession is going to be. Um, we're going in, like we're in a climate crisis with a conservative government as well. Um, and so for us to, to be at this point where we even have an alternative to market-based um, kind of neoliberal climate policies, like this was essentially an attempt, I, I think when, when Anna and I were writing this, is an attempt to like completely sidestep opening up a debate again about a carbon tax or similar kind of programs. Like we essentially tried to say like, no, that debate is over <laughs> before it can even get started again, because that's kind of the whispers that we're getting from fractions of capital, you know, in the finance and tech sectors that like, oh, okay, we're not into climate denial anymore. We're actually into climate opportunism. And like, where are the opportunities to accumulate through this, through this crisis? And how can we start pushing market-based policies again? Um, so trying to, to kind of completely sidestep that by presenting um, the Green New Deal, I think it's important to remember that, that context. I don't think they're necessarily in opposition. I don't think they're easy stepping stones from one to the next either. It all depends on how the politics play out and how hard we organise and things outside of our control. And I suppose, like, practically speaking, in a way, you need to think about if we want to have the Green New Deal as a local transition, which needs to be local, self-organised by communities, where's the money, where's the capacity, where's the power going to come from that's going to facilitate, that's going to facilitate that? I mean, if we're thinking in a world where capital social relations haven't largely collapsed and we have to, and where... Uh, organizing new forms of economic life on a very large scale, then, you know, we need to think about how, if we want to have local transitions, then how is, then where's that money, where's that support going to, going to come from in a way? And just on that topic of, of, of climate opportunism, um, Tash, which I think is really important. I mean, there was that, that weird tech bro with the mullet. I always forget his name. And he was on about it last week. And just today, um, the Queensland LNP, for some reason, came out against nuclear power and decided that they wanted to support renewables instead. So yeah, there's there's this, there is a, a big shift, you know, and that and that's something that you know, in that way, it is important tactically to be like, no, we don't want that private. We, we're not into that private sector response. We want to have a state-based but community-led, community-organized response. And I think there is a, you know, it's definitely an uneasy ten tension between between those two things: the the state, you know, the sort of the state based versus the sort of the the grassroots uh, autonomous um, autonomous sort of politicking. Um, but where I sort of sort of stand um, on this, like you know, we we're in a country right now with you know basically three million people, um, you know, living living in poverty. Uh, you know, these are these are people who um, you know, who are being denied really, you know, the basic standard of living, and you know, denied, you know, along with that uh, political political agency. If we think that, if we still think as socialists, as communists, that 
um, you know, radical or, or revolutionary change is going to come um, from um, you know, working class or, or, or communities, um, diverse communities, um, you know, rising up, developing power, uh, challenging the state. It, 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 it would seem, it would seem to me that you know the only you know, really immediate way. Um, you know, to be able to boost people's power, you know, get them, get them into work, put funding into these communities to facilitate, uh, you know, the kind of, um, you know, in the kind of the kind of movements that 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 we want to build in the autonomy, we want to build, you know, will will require us, you know, reclaiming the power of the state, you know, reclaiming public public money, um, and and re- redistributing it to these communities accordingly. So I guess like you know, this then goes to my ne- my next question I've got about this is particularly because Tash you mentioned that we're about to head into a recession. I think that's true, and I think this is due to kind of global forces. You know, either like if we say there's a kind of a more centrist version of the Green New Deal and a more radical version of the Green New Deal, both imagine that these happen and coincide within a capitalist world system for a considerable period of time, even if at some point it helps us shift to get out of it. Do you actually think a Green New Deal would work within capitalism? Like both in terms of like, is capitalism malleable enough that you could have this form of investment um, without it just... Um, like shutting down and shitting itself or and second to that like is it possible to do this in a moment of you know we're about to have the crisis again it's a product of a 30-year kind of long crisis there's a generalized investment strike that's going on due to a condition of over accumulation is it actually just kind of possible to have a green new deal in capitalism without just all the wheels falling off potentially no yeah, it, it might actually it might actually lead to the kind of like uh, it may like reveal kind of the cracks in the system even more. It may act as a kind of fix for capital if it's implemented in the kind of centrist version you were talking about to kind of um, delay the crisis spatially or temporally, kick it down the road. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's clearly not. The Green New Deal is clearly not socialism or communism, um, but I do think it is a new opening for the left and it could be kind of like a battering ram that we use to wedge open some of those cracks that are starting to appear in the armour of capitalism. Um, Whether or not the appearance of ever more cracks is is actually fortuitous for us at this moment, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean... um... I guess in terms of whether how how the state, the capitalist state, can develop really big and implement really big social programs is, you know, that that always happens in its own historical conjunctures. So, I mean, if you look at the New Deal, obviously that was implemented in the United States, I don't know, you would have to say relatively successfully in that it was able to provide a welfare and safety net um, within America um, for... For most people, I suppose, whilst also ensuring the increased profitability of capital, which is, of course, possible due to super exploitation of colonies and people of color. Um, and I guess you look at you know, Chile, for example, where there's attempts to use the state to transform um, the economy and society in a social structure, you know, um, which leads to 
military coup, of course. And I mean, even, you know, now in the UK, there's all this sort of weird rumblings that if Corbyn is elected, then there'll be some sort of military coup to to to, to get rid of him and, and whatnot and this kind of weird sort of deep state argument. But, um, yeah, I mean, for me, I guess, I guess the more, as a his, the historian in me, rather than the communist radical, <laughs> although they're inter- intersecting and identities for me, I suppose, but I find it difficult to say, yeah, that the state will necessarily act in a particular way at a particular time because I think that's based on the power of forces based on um, what forces are ascendant at at which time and what external forces are at play as well. But I guess it's even, you know, like say, say, you you know, Bernie Sanders wins and a Green New Deal gets instituted and there's, you know, suddenly, you know, um, a big fuck off solar something special being built somewhere at uh, at high kind of wages there's the question Mm -hmm. of how that's funded but doesn't that just suddenly like drive up the the cost of labor in capitalism which is already in a condition of a declining rate of profit so the rest of kind of private industry just kind of shits itself and then then that kind of like floods through the rest of the economy and causes like the kind of crisis to even deepen like i don't argue this from a conservative point of view but rather my thinking is is more that the more we win the more capitalism malfunctions but so much of Mm -hmm. the thinking of a green new deal seems to be based on at least that it will solve you know that it'll solve the ecological problems it'll solve the economic problems by uh you know increased reinvestment and point a way out where i'm not Mm -hmm. just I, i think that relies on a kind of um vision of what capitalism is that's makes capitalism like both more robust and more fluffy and malleable at the same time where i i think the kind of law of value comes and kicks you in the ass i mean i think when you talk about this about about liz's book um about neo about about um implementation of neoliberalism in australia and i think you're right like it was the result of the um of working class power effectively bankrupting capitalism and meaning that, you know, wage rises or incredible wage rises, capitalism was unable to get out of its systemic crisis. But equally, the wage rises were just being reflected by increased inflation. And it wasn't really improving, improving standards of life for anyone. It was, um, and it was, there was significant unemployment as well, of course, and the trade unions were unable to solve, have a solution to that. Now, what's different in this context, and in, in that context, that led to the universal adoption of a form of neoliberalism with a tacked on sort of aspects of Norwegian social democracy, like Medicare and uh, increased unemployment benefits. But what we have here now is we've got a, a is that, and that was because there wasn't really a strategy. The communist, the communist party in particular had no strategy in what to do in that, in that context. It had you know, because of its long-term infatuation with the Soviet Union, and Soviet Union seemed to be on the way out. That, if anything, it was reform and Gorbachev and whatnot that was that was in the ascendancy. That 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 there was no real plan. There was no real agenda for what was going to for what to do next. And I think what the Green New Deal provides, at least, is some sort of a rationale for now when we're in the same sort of crisis, potentially where we where we could be in. As you said, where well, we could be seeing, you know, um, 
these big wage rises from state in in state or locally community built enterprises, you know, we do have a solution now. While well, there wasn't one then in the seventies and eighties. Jeremy, do you have something you want to add to this? Because I guess like the thing that you know we kind of spar about the most on social media is this question in relation to the jobs guarantee, right? Right, which is you know, uh, you know, which can can lead us can lead us into into an argument that you know I'm not sure is you know completely you know com- completely helpful at at this stage. Like if we sort of talk about you know the you know the 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 challenge you know the challenge of of, of full employment or a job guarantee in a in a capitalist economy and um, and whether it can work and and what contradictions. Um, you know that may, uh, you know that may that may throw up. I think is, you know, is 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 a conversation that you know that that is worth having to to an extent. But it's you know we've had, you know, Australia was the first you know first real full employment capitalist capitalist country um, from from forty five to 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 to, to seventy five. Um, you know, I don't think I think there are bad job guarantee advocates who are basically, you know, in the trying to save capitalism, you know, from itself camp. And I think those same people um, occupy sadly too much space as well in in the Green New Deal uh, camp as well. But as a, as a job guarantee uh, advocate and the kind of one that the Unemployed Workers Union um, advocates for is, you know. Getting away from this notion that you know this isn't like, you know this isn't some like you know silver silver bullet, and of course it's of course it's you know always going to be compromised in a, in a, in a capitalist um, capitalist economy. But you know we we see it as you know a way not just to lift um, you know vast populations um, out of poverty, which is of course um, a, a good thing, but it also helps us you know, sharpen, you know, sharpen a stick and to wedge and to actually build people's power and capacity um, to, to challenge capital and challenge the state. Um, you know, a, a good locally administered job guarantee in, in communities would bring, you know, workers back, you know, to the site of production. Like like good job guarantee models, are, you know, have a have an aspect where they're, they're meant to be done in consultation you know with the with the community so that sort of enables people to start thinking about what kind of jobs they want to do in their in their community um, which you know raises consciousness about you know what you know what work is valuable you know what what is what is work if I had a choice what kind of work um, would I would I would I want to do um, in my in my community so I think you know there are you know, there, there are certain, you know, the devil's in the details with the Green New Deal, with, with a job guarantee, um, you know, with, uh, you know, with, with, with all sorts of things. But I think, I think all of us, at least in, in, in this conversation and, and me, um, you know, personally, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a way to, you know, to deepen the contradictions um, and reveal those um, in capital um, to, to boost uh, workers, workers' consciousness, um, you know, about these things. Um, and to and to get people thinking and and dreaming and and believing that they can actually, you know, have control uh, to direct the course of of their economy and societies, and that's sort of where I see 
um, you know, a job guarantee and and a, and a green new deal, being able to you know expand um, power, agency, and and consciousness um, in a, in in a way that um, you know could you know that we haven't seen potentially we haven't seen for for generations. It's it's potential uh, to be able to do that. So, so do we tell people that from the yes. outset? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> so, so do we tell people that from the outset? Like, do we do we go? Okay, we're going to organise and we're going to fight for a series of demands that we want the state to enact, and we're going to mobilise as much power as possible to win that. When when we do that, do we say, and we think we're going to be able to win them, and they're going to make everyone's lives better? Or do we say, and we think when we will win them, they'll improve our lives and throw the whole structure into chaos, so we'll have to keep on fighting for more things. That seems to be really crucial for me because, you know, if we're talking about part of the reason of these struggles is to actually, you know, meaningfully shift subjectivity both through the struggle and people's expectations, if we think we're fighting for something that's not going to work, like, don't we need to build that into how we fight for it and how we argue for it as opposed to saying, oh, we can fight for these things our work and then they don't work and then that potentially leads to demoralisation and confusion. But who's the we? We always talk about this, Dave. Who's the we here? Partisans of a Green New Deal. Partisans, yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, we're talking about a Green New Deal, but the way we're talking about it being implemented, we're talking about it being implemented by local communities in local contexts, right? So but, but they're I think, going it, I think to, it's um, still it's still important. Like if you have Jeremy's Jeremy's idea of okay, what we're going to fight for is we're going to fight for you know a jobs guarantee that's administered by local communities, and I don't know if that means the council or the people's council, right? Mm. But you fight that, you win, you win that. That suddenly stops capital accumulating, puts upward pressure on wages, and capital can't expand, and so again then intensifies the recession re- trajectory we're already in, like. When we're fighting for that, we, mm. like, do we go, we're going to win this and it's going to improve our position, but it, we're going to have to keep on going? Or do we say, hey, we're going to fight for a jobs guarantee. It's going to be great and it's going to work. You know, like... Well, what, uh, what what movement has, has ever sort of been able to... It seems like it's a bit of a crystal ball aspect to that where it's kind of like... Uh, like, we don't know. Like, as, as militants, we, we know that there is going to be a big struggle, but when social movements tend to develop out of spontaneously out of social um, disjunctions, out of social contradictions, they tend to be focused on alleviation of immediate causes. And then radicalization occurs as a result of the inability to achieve those or the limitations of, of, of those achievements. And then there's the push for further things. So I just don't know. I guess it's like, what's, what's the process wherein people realize that there is realize that 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 it's going to need to be pushed further. If someone's there saying, "Well, you can have this, but then you're going to have to do all this other stuff," I don't I don't really understand that. Yeah, I agree with John and Jeremy. That was a really good description of the job guarantee and its potential. I think we can't overstate how much changing the idea of like what counts as work is such a radical shift from where we are now, and like just the value in that. And so. Um, Academics like Tuthi uh, Bhattacharya, who writes on social reproduction theory, mm. have talked about the Green New Deal's ability to think about um, the job guarantee program as like a new model for like a new labor ecology in which, you know, work and wages are actually in service of like, you know, 
the things that communities need and want and also, you know, restoring, uh, um, you know, the biological systems that we're embedded in rather than jobs that are kind of counterposed to our own future and survival on the planet. Just that shift in itself, if the job guarantee, uh, you know, the politics of struggling for a job guarantee can provide that is is important enough. And if we if we manage to win, uh, you know, things like um, a decent living for all the people who right now are completely locked out of work and, and have like a horrible and are living under these horrible punitive job programs, then it's, it's worth the struggle. In terms of like, do we tell people from the outset, like this is going to implode capitalist, you know, relations of production? As John said, we're not we're not sure the exact effects it's going to have. People aren't rational utility maximizers. Then there may not be these movements in the labor market that we're certain are going to happen when a job guarantee is implemented. So I think we would be as honest as possible in our organizing. Um, always, I guess. You know, it's you know where. You know, we're you know at least within an organization, you know, having having these having these conversations and you know being very when we when we you know have branch meetings like these you know these discussions you know are are happening um, on a you know on a on a on a on a local level. Again, we you know we have we have no idea you know what would happen. Um, no one really has any idea um, you know what would what would happen. What we need to what we need to plan for. Um, but you know, where at least at least the preliminary at least the preliminary tactics of why we prioritize a job guarantee uh, politically, we're, we're very open and honest uh, with our members, at least to the degree that you know we are endeavoring to build autonomy, uh, build worker power, um, put workers back on the on the side of side of production, uh, so we can you know get a get a toehold and, and start to alter the economy. In our favor, that's probably, you know, that's probably a pretty good, a pretty good snapshot of the kind of conversations, at least right now, that we're having with with our member base. Just yeah, and I just wanted to add just one more quick thing. It's about the jobs guarantee. And I suppose there's two different ways it can go. On the one hand, the jobs guarantee could be something like there was in the in the Soviet Union, where there was just a whole bunch of jobs made up for people, so they could go and do work, so they could participated in the social welfare state, which was intensely boring. Everyone just, there was a, a saying, you know, you pretend to pay us and we pretend to work. So a bunch of people just showed off and played cards every day at the factory, which you might enjoy, you might not, but it certainly didn't release human potential. And on the other hand, well, on the same side of that coin, I venture would be, you know, the jobs guarantee could be used simply to mobilize additional labor force into capitalism, to mobilize um, previously underutilized populations and force them into working green industries in order to guarantee further expansion of capital. But on the other hand, where the German describes it seem more in keeping with Marx's, you know, dictum about uh, you know that 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 communism would be when we, you know, can work in the fields in day, uh, paint in the afternoon and criticize at night, as we do on this podcast. Criticizing by night. And I think that's that's really important. Yeah, I think that's totally confused, John, like because like because the without going into the jobs guarantee in too detail like it's still imagining that it's happening in a capitalist society organized around the law of value right like you know that the the idea that 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 polymorphous um future that we want to live in where human beings can flourish and we can you know follow all our different desires and potentialities in terms of creativity i think that 
that is still the goal, right? But I think it's mm. what it necessitates is overcoming the capitalist mode of production and overcoming wage labour. And I mm. think there's, like, even if we imagine, like, an interstitial transformation, um, like, it's important not to get those kind of things kind of confused. And I, I guess mm. it's like, you know... I, like because I think there is a difference in our conversation. Like if you know, you talked before about John. Well, you know, it's hard to really know because people start in struggles. They struggle over particular things, and struggle transforms them. That's that's totally true. But when we're talking about the Green New Deal, we're not just talking about like uh, we're not really just talking about a site specific yeah. struggle where yeah, people come right. together about something that's happening and through fighting they transform their consciousness of the world. We are talking about kind of people who are who are comrades engaging in a strategic plan, right? Who are building that strategic plan already on an understanding of how they think capitalism and the state works. So mm. for me, I think. Like there's a danger that it becomes like, but aha, we've got the secret knowledge. Like, you know, like I always hated Trotsky's, I always hated Trotsky's transitional um, platform or transitional demands because it was always like you lie to people, they fight for something, then they realize they can't have it and then they get radicalized. Mm. I was always like, that sounds like bullshit. If like someone lied to me. I fought for it and, I, you know, I had fought really hard and it didn't work out and they went, aha, we knew it wasn't going to work out. Now you're radicalised. I'd be like, no, fuck off. You know, yeah. like so for me that question of, of honesty I think matters in how we imagine the relationship between the revolutionary and the rest of the class and how yeah. we imagine what struggle looks like. I think that's really important and I just want to add that I have built an inbuilt time bomb into this conversation which is that my computer is going to die in seven minutes which is my day proofing the conversation in this uh, well, well okay well, well i'll stop talking and <laughs> let's, then, let's 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 well let's go to, let's go to up. well but also no let's go to tash and to and to jeremy because our, our listeners get enough of us like yes. and maybe just finish with like tash like um and jeremy like what you were met like what your hope is for the struggle around the Green New Deal in, in Australia and how you think it can contribute to us getting lives worth living? I think those social, those movements that you talk about are already there. So the Green New Deal isn't attempting to come up with a plan and sort of impose it from on high. It's responding to the existing struggles that are each in their own responding to all these multiple and intersecting crises. So the crises mm. of care, the crises of work, of housing, you know, the climate structure responding to the, the, the climate crisis and actually saying these things are all connected. So that I think that is why it's not in the way you've characterized it as this kind of pre-made plan that assumes what's going to happen. It's actually something that's attempting to build a broad coalition or coalitions of social movements that we need to actually build power. Uh, so for me, the, the best thing that could potentially come out of a Green New Deal is the emergence of kind of new revolutionary subjects with a different understanding of, you know, nature, society relations and how labor relates to the rest of nature. Um, and obviously at, at a bare minimum, being able to ensure that people are not living in poverty, that people don't have to worry about having a roof over their head, um, as, you know, as the kind of minimum demand, but then trying to employ capitalist realism and imagine a, a life beyond the confines of, of what we've, um, you know, historically been born into, um, where we have kind of 
um, public luxury for the many instead of private luxury for the f- for the few. Yeah, fantastic, Jeremy. Hundred, hundred, hundred percent fist pumping at everything Tash just said. But I think you know the real the real heart for for me in a you know what is an extremely bleak and depressing reality, um, at least for my our members, unemployed unemployed workers, where you know gotten to the point now. Um, you know where you know we have the lowest unemployment entitlements in the in the OECD and the harshest welfare compliance system and an extremely hostile government for the next three years. So it's an extremely bleak period. But what the you know the the hope that a Green New Deal brings, um, at least from at least from my perspective, is it's it's a project that you know we you know, that. In, in, is actually inclusive and speaking to a group of people who've, you know, been completely maligned, excluded, and alienated, not just from like electoral politics, but by huge um, portions um, of of the left and and campaigners as well. But but now here we are in in a context with these struggles being connected, where, you know. Someone like someone like myself, or like someone, a campaigner on New Start, is now actually, you know, sitting down at, at the table with environmental campaigners. Um, you know, we've, you know, we've we've had a, you know, sometimes antagonistic relationship with the trade union movement proper, but um, you know, from what John was talking about earlier with like the NUW, et cetera, coming in for a job guarantee. You know, we're on, we're getting on the same page now. Um, with 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 unions and and feel like they're they're fighting or starting to think uh, along alongside of us. So you know, there's huge you know radical potential here uh, to be able to speak to a giant pool um, of of unemployed workers and and social security recipients who just haven't had a movement behind them championing their struggle, um, putting that putting that. You know, at, at center and 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 inspiring them. Like what you know, what the hell did social security recipients and unemployed workers go to the most recent election with? Absolutely no hope <laughs> that any of their lives, um, you know, would 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 get any better. Um, but I think something that you know the Green New Deal can do, um, especially outside of outside of electoral cycle now, um, is really. Um, inspire and, and and build a movement of of, of people that have, that have been neglected. Fantastic. Uh, just before before we go, maybe Tash, you could direct. Uh, we had a reader question preemptively who was wondering about the scientific basis behind a Green New Deal, and I think this is maybe similar to something Jasper Burns um, has written about as well. For that reader, if people, I think the some the criticism goes, you know, along the lines of like, you know, could we? Is it actually technically feasible? If people wanted to read anything about the technical feasibility of a Green New Deal, like could we build enough solar panels, how much impact would it have building those solar panels, yada, yada, yada. Do you know where that debate is happening or where people can look at that kind of stuff? Definitely. I think Uneven Earth is a really good resource for that. Um, Debates over um, energy democracy, I think, is where that's happening. Um, We're definitely... Like just to reach 100% renewables in Australia would potentially exhaust cobalt and lithium reserves in existing mines, so it would necessitate new mines um, overseas. So that's obviously an issue we need to grapple with and another reason why it can't be left to private capital to make these decisions about 
um, how energy is produced and distributed and consumed. So um, I think the debate over degrowth and energy democracy and the Green New Deal is, is really interesting and where I've got a lot of my attention lately. So I can provide some links that you can probably yeah, yeah, to the podcast if you like. That would be really great. You know, I, I, Look, I've got some, I've always thought like part of the energy stuff will be solved through the abolition of work, right? Like we just don't need to yeah. light all those offices. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know that. Yeah, exactly. You know that. Exactly, the, and the massive redistribution of energy too, as well. Like we don't need private jets and five mansions for a small the, number of the population. Like no one needs that kind of lifestyle. No, no, that's right. I mean, we didn't really get to talk about the uh, the, in, the inherent inequalities where the Green New Deal could just replicate the same inequalities, global inequalities of the welfare state, both in terms of women's unpaid labor, but also in terms of super exploitation of the colonies. But there are many places that that can be read about, and we do not need to talk about every single thing, I suppose. Tash, Jeremy, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you would really like us to to think about or things you'd like to add, anything like that? Um, I think in, in this debate between, like, the state and the market and, um, you know, how we get around the problem of, um, of living in capitalism and, and, and driving for these demands that seem to go beyond it. Something we didn't really get to talk about was um, the role of uh, land rights and Aboriginal sovereignty and justice and, and those existing struggles and where they would intersect um, with the Green New Deal. So maybe we can link another article um, from uh, Overland that I saw recently on the potential for a Black New Deal. Um, so and there yep. might be the potential to think more about some of those debates and, and what uh, the perspective of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people would be on that kind of what can we use the state for and is the state always going to be oppressive? Yeah, fantastic. I, I think there's, there's an equivalent uh, article in the US around a, a Red New Deal coming from Indigenous act- activists in the US too. Yeah, by Nick Estes. Jeremy, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, I don't. I don't think. I think. I, I think. I said my my final coherent uh, thing, uh, be, <laughs> before. Um, um, but if I if I think of if I, if I think of links and, and stuff I missed um, later, shoot bolt bolt up right tomorrow morning. Um, I'll I'll let you know. Look, I, I really want to thank everyone for their contributions tonight. I think it's. Um, been quite a methodical but and i hope i think though i think hopefully quite interesting discussion um for people Mm. listening and i also think that maybe like the ground that this is happening on might radically move quite quickly right so i really hope that our comrades out there listening who um you know are involved in the struggles that are going on the student strikes the rebellion weeks and the like um find this kind of interesting like um Tash, Jeremy, if people want to directly get in contact with you, um, are, can they do that? How Shout do they do? You. Yeah, yeah, like, um, are you on social media where they can follow your work and the like? Yep, you can follow me on Twitter. Okay, I'll, I'll add that. In, I'll add people. that in the in the in the blue. Cool. People can follow me. People people can email me. My my bloody my bloody phone number is public, so I'm getting calls from. Is of it? all types. That's all wild. All, it's all good. That's really like that's really wild. It's so funny looking at old leaflets where people used to put their landline number on them. <laughs> it's please like if I, 
you know, have any advice to anyone, especially campaigners, just don't do it. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah. Anyway, yes, you can put my put, put my Twitter, put my email if you like. Ah, oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much. And um, Tash, did, I know you mentioned before in a conversation that the document that you worked on with Anna, is that going to see some kind of public life? Um, not in the form that it's in now. We're trying to process um, all of the feedback and the criticism of it as a collective, as the Climate Justice Collective. So we have a policy and research working group that's going through and developing kind of more discussion papers rather than descriptive policy papers on um, each of the different areas of the Green New Deal. So um, you, anyone can really be a part of that if they're a member of the Climate Justice Collective. So um, if you'd like to join up and get involved in, in the rewriting of different areas relating to Green New Deal politics, you can absolutely be involved. And we'll link to that as well in the blurb. All right, well, thanks, very everyone, for that. Um, have a really lovely night. Thanks so much for having us, guys. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living the Dream. Have we already lost John? John's gone. All right. Bye-bye. Before the workers stop working on May Day, you would see the system grind to a halt. Proves how much we are undervalued. International holidays by the sea. All the big wheels have stopped turning Politicians spontaneously combust Parliament crumbles brick by brick The economy turns to dust The danger stood still Still